Let us pray. Our gracious God, we give thanks that you have seen fit to give us your word. And we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit at work among us and in and through this word and the preaching of this word that we would truly hear you, that we would receive the light of your truth, the light of your love, the light of your wisdom, that you would fill us with the radiance and life of your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scriptures come from this third Sunday in Advent's lectionary and Isaiah Chapter 61, verses 1 through 4, and then 8 through 11 is our Old Testament reading. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, To give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations." For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them the recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John chapter 1 verse 5. That verse falls right before the gospel reading printed in your bulletin and it's worth noting. It says this about the light. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Or some translations have has not overcome it or still others have will never overcome it. Verse 5 speaks of the light of God who is Jesus and affirms that the darkness did not, has not, will not overcome This light, so singular, so powerful, so enduring, is this light. And then we come upon our New Testament scripture reading for today. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a man sent from God, reads John, 
1.6. Sent is the operative verb. And, and when you're sent somewhere, it's because someone or something is in fact the sender, has something for you to carry, something for you to give, something for you to do. There's a purpose for your being there. John is sent. It implies purpose. It is a key verb picked up upon throughout the Gospel of John, and importantly, right near the end of the Gospel of John. Jesus, he's resurrected, he's standing with his disciples, his followers, and he says, as the Father has sent me into the world, so I send you into the world. Sending is really this theme that bookends the Gospel of John. John the Baptist who's referred to here in chapter 1, was sent from God, and we discover by the end the truth that so too we, the whole church, are sent from God. We are not here on accident. We are not here haphazardly. Sentness implies purpose. So, so what are we sent to do? Sent to say, sent, sent to be. John was sent to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. Twice, in those two very short verses, it's quite clear. John came to point out the light, to give testimony to the light, to bear witness to the light. That's why he sent. That's why the church is sent. And we'll get to some of what that means for us. But but first, let's pause, because there's also a curious phrase right there in the middle of those short verses about testifying to the light. He himself was not the light. And at first blush, I think that sounds a bit silly to try and include. I mean, of course, if someone's pointing to the light, testifying to the light, that person's not the light. They're they're pointing over there at at something else. Why why even say he himself is not the light? It's, It's not wrong. It's just kind of obvious. Now, it's true. Some of you are aware... There's a historical piece to all this. Some of you know that in Jesus' time, there were some who thought maybe John the Baptist was the Messiah, was the light, and not Jesus. And, and so in part, John the Gospel writer wants to be 100% clear. John the Baptist, he's not the light. <clears throat> but John the, ba- John, the Gospel writer, uh, writes his Gospel as the latest of the four Gospels. Of, it's written at a time where really there aren't any concerns that anyone's thinking John the Baptist might be the light, might be the Messiah. In fact, when John writes his gospel, it is with the future church very much in mind. So, so why does he, as a narrator, why does he decide to underscore this, this pretty obvious point that this guy who is pointing over at Jesus and is obviously not the light, why does John decide to state the obvious and say, John the Baptist, he himself was, was not the light? Earlier this week, uh, Kip Moore, uh, one of uh, the members and volunteers here at our church, he hosted this lunch to thank all of the folks here at Grace Covenant who volunteer in the church office throughout the week. And I had a chance to be there with everyone. And at one point during this lunch, we're talking about top Christmas movies, favorite movies that come on the television this time of year when we love to catch. A number of people said tops for them is Scrooge, the original Christmas Carol adaptation from 1951. A few of them said a Charlie Brown Christmas. And then a number of them mentioned one other. I bet you can guess it. I hear it. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. 
that one has always had a special place in my heart as well. In fact, that conversation this past week reminded me that, uh, of a time in my life when, and it, when, that, when it was announced in my high school that that movie, uh, uh, a, a version of it a, for, written for a, as a play, was going to be the production for that fall and winter at the school. So I decided I'm going to try out for it. I think the movie's great. Mind you, I've never been on stage. I've never tried out for any other production. I've never memorized lines. And then on top of that, I decided I'm not just going to try out. I'm going to try out for the lead role. I want to be George Bailey. I want to be, I want to be the way Jimmy Stewart inhabited George Bailey. Like, I want to play the affable family guy, neighbor guy who takes care of the good folks of Bedford Falls, that great sacrifice to himself, and, and the strong guy who stands up to evil Mr. Potter. I want to be George Bailey. So I go for it. I try out for George Bailey. And a few days after the audition, the director comes to me. Bobby, we're going we're gonna to give Nate Lee uh, the role of George Bailey. Uh, maybe you consider uh, reading from some of the lines of some of these other characters. And he pointed to a bit role here and there. I said, no thanks. I really just wanted to be George Bailey. I mean, the director must have thought, man, this sophomore is a piece of work. I mean, I shake my head thinking about what, what I was thinking in those few days of my life. It, who walks in to play this altruistic, giving, don't shine the light on me, George Bailey kind of character, and refuses to do anything but play that role? He himself was not the light. Part of why John states the obvious is to underscore this basic truth about humanity that we too readily try to avoid admitting, and that is that we are incredibly prone to seek the light, to be ourselves the light. Maybe not so blatantly or pathetically as, as showing up for the lead role and only being willing to take that, but, but there is something in each of us, even as we are sent upon this world stage to be a witness to the light, we kind of want to be the light. We want to be seen as good. We, we want to have a reputation for being just and right. For being on the right side of history. For being remembered this way, not that way at our funeral. We, we kind of want the church to be seen a certain way and not this way. We, we, we care about the reputation Nonprofits, they know this about us and this internal motivation we have. They cater to our sense of, of wanting to be seen as good. And so they promise in return for our donations various forms of societally acceptable recognition. Grocery stores even play to this. Do you want to add a dollar to your order and support such and such nonprofit? And, may, and some of you may very altruistically say, oh my goodness, yes, absolutely. I, but, but they also know that, that many of you know nothing about the nonprofit, have never thought about it, prayed about it, researched it, but, but you don't want to be seen as not giving. You kind of would like to be seen as giving for a moment with that person next to you and them right now. Yeah, add a dollar. I mean, in our more honest moments, look, we all want to be seen as light. We are prone to forget we have been sent not to be the light, but testify to the light. Now, perhaps some of us say, no, really, no, really. I don't, I don't want to be the light. I learned my lesson years ago. I don't need the credit, the light, chasing after the reputation. I, 
Some of us might relate a bit better to my second go at the theater terrain. The following year, I do go back. I decide I'll take any role for that winter's production if they will have me. The play is called A Tuna Christmas. It's a comedy that takes place in Tuna, Texas with an array of silly and crazy characters. They give me the role of the town sheriff, Sheriff Givens. It's a small role with 10 or 12 lines tops. But it's a character with, it's an important part. And if the lines are delivered well, I've, I've seen the play professionally done. They end up being some of the funnier moments of the play. They help carry the plot along. We put the show on for four consecutive nights. And not once did people laugh during my 10 or 12 lines. And it's because if you could have heard my mind speaking aloud while I was on that stage, you would have heard this. Don't mess up the next line. Don't forget the next line. What are so-and-so going to think if I don't get this right? I need to be funny. I was a mess inside my head. I was so anxious about my little part and how people would think of me if I messed up, if I didn't get it just right, if I wasn't funny. I was so focused on, on me that when it came time to deliver the lines, they just came out flat. I mean, you've probably seen performances like this. Musicians, dancers, performers of any kind, you know that when a person is consumed internally with not messing up, getting it right, otherwise what will people think? What will happen if I don't do my part just right? When the mind is consumed with self-doubt and self-worry and self, you all know the notes, the movements, the lines, they always play flat, don't they? Or, or, Or we need not think of Stage performances is all. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances. And how often on this stage of life on which we have been sent is the internal dialogue some of us carry. I have got to get this one right. We have got to get this right. We can't mess this up. So many people are depending on me, on us. We can't get this plan wrong. We got to get this vote right. This stage of parenting, we cannot mess this one up. This decision, what will people think of me, think of us? What will happen if we don't? And perhaps particularly around this time of season, if we do not have this house, this church, this table set just so for the guests, for the family, for the event, All of these are sentiments that suggest that maybe we see ourselves as the light. We may not think of ourselves that way. In fact, it's probably the opposite. No, no, I am not trying to be any George Bailey here. I'm just a sheriff worried about getting my part right. And yet when perfectionism and not failing not me- or, or messing up, when that becomes our internal dialogue, we have made, in fact, ourselves the focus. If our anxiety about ourselves is rising, we betray that we feel some kind of pressure to be the light, to not disappoint, to not fail. He himself was not the light. There is so much good news in simply naming that truth. We are not, at a fundamental level, in charge of making the event shine. The family happy, 
the children mature just so, the country turn, the church come alive. We have a role to be sure. We'll get to that. But goodness, we are not the light. And we wind ourselves into thinking it's all on us. We put ourselves in the center. It always delivers flat. I think recent months, right, have been a sober reminder of this. We set up our our politicians, our celebrities, our athletes, our clergy. Almost unconsciously, we set up some in the public eye to be put on a pedestal as somehow more than the rest of us. They become for us a light, a way forward, a persona to follow, admire, wear their jersey, their bumper sticker, their label. And then the stuff comes out. They cheated. They lied. They abused. We're shocked. We're horrified. They're supposed to be good. He himself was not light. Now that's not to stomp on all the good and beauty that God has endowed in each of us and does in fact come through each of us. It it, it is simply to say that right here at this moment, there's only one light that has shined from all eternity. One light shining over all of creation One light shining into the depth of all measure of darkness. One light, in fact, that is shining behind us, over us, through us, in us, around us, our situation, our family, our church, our city. One light that is full of justice and truth and life and love. And we could do nothing to change the gracious fact that he shines. That he is faithful. And we are not the light. To pretend otherwise is to fall flat. So then what are we to do? We are sent. We're sent on the world stage. We're not the star. We're not the light. He came to testify to the light. My brother Michael and sister-in-law Kate They live in Chicago. Both of them have done professional acting. My brother acted a bunch in high school, college, a bit since then. And his wife, Kate, actually acts regularly in Chicago, has even been in parts of Second City Productions. And and so I I decided, thinking on my my very short-lived acting career recently, to ask them, what are good actors thinking about when they are on stage? Kate's response... Getting the story across and the parameters that have been set. Michael's response. The good actors know the story's intent. They're able to miss lines but remain convincing. I love that. Both of them mention nothing about actors worrying about getting it right, not messing it up, owning their stardom, or what will the reviews think, what will the people think. The truly good actors see themselves in the service of a greater story. They see their role, however small, however large, they see the role as pointing to the larger arc of the story, the larger truth of the story. And, And so paradoxically, the actors who shine most brightly on stage are not necessarily those who nail every single word perfectly. Though, though they may, but I assure you I've done that. It, it doesn't necessarily bode for success. 
No, the ones who shine the brightest are the ones who give themselves fully to the story. They see their every word and action as pointing to the greater arc. They submit themselves to the furtherance of something greater. And so shine. I wonder how many of us today are carrying this weight of of getting it right. Of not messing this one up, of nailing the project just so, of getting the words right. We need Grace Covenant to be just so and do it just this way. How many of us need the good news that we are not the light? What if that is actually the source of John the Baptist's enduring legacy? What if that small part John the Baptist? has in in the arc of scripture, has endured with vibrancy and light all these years because of that little piece. He himself was not the light. And so how many of us simply need this day to get out of the way, to move ourselves from the center, to surrender our church from the center, and instead place ourselves in the service of, of the greater light. And the truth is, if we give ourselves in the service to he who is the light, if we, if we simply just start with that act of surrender here, take again this, my life, take these, my lines, my situation, take this, my angst, this, the scene in which I find myself, take my need for others to see me this way, to get it just... Take me from the center. Right, the beautiful paradox is that we shine even more brightly. The good actors know the story's intent. They're able to miss lines but remain convincing. Able to mess up but because they've surrendered to the light, you still very much see Jesus and convincingly so. Or as Jesus put it himself, for those who want to save their life, put their life in the center. Focus On their life, they will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake, all who submit their life to the greater story, all who give themselves unto the greater light, they will find it. They will shine. And I love how a bit later in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist himself states the truth so concisely. And I think it makes for a great prayer for us to end on, as I think, again, it points to the source of of, of the power that undergirded John the Baptist's ministry on his, his little part on earth. He said it this way, He must become greater. I must become less. What freedom in that. He must become greater. I must become less. Let's make that our prayer. Jesus, thank you for the good news. That we ourselves are not the light. It is not on us. Forgive our arrogance for any time we have made it about us. Put it all on our shoulders. Worried endlessly about getting it right or failing or Our prayer is simple. You become greater. 
your way, your love, your wisdom, your justice, your light that is already shining. May that become more in us, around us, and through us. And raise then your church in this world paradoxically by helping us become less. Amen.